Good evening, America. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope you all are doing well, and welcome to another edition of The Sea Report, coming to you live on this <clears throat> Wednesday evening, November 10th, ladies and gentlemen. Wednesday evening, November 10th. I apologize, I'm adjusting my tie for those of you on the podcast side that, that don't quite see what I'm doing. <laughs> Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have everyone with us today. And uh, yeah, they the what is uh, Wednesday is what we call Sandwich Day here at uh, the Sea Report. That is the day that is uh, between uh, Tuesday and Thursday. That's so tasty. We call it Sandwich Day because it's put right in the middle of the week. Right. And uh, we devour our sandwiches here, ladies and gentlemen. We don't climb those hills. We don't got no humps to get over. Anyways, enough about that. I hope you guys are having a great afternoon. Uh, We're doing it live again here tonight, uh, coming to you guys on all platforms except for the enemy's platform tonight. We won't be broadcasting there uh, because as you might might, uh, gather, we have somewhat of a uh, a little little speck of a mention of uh, Charlie... Victor Diecinueva tonight. Won't be much, but we're going to play our cards close to our chest like any nervous poker player would, right? Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, hope you guys are doing great today. Uh, We got some news for you today, but of course, that's why you're here and that's why I'm here. Uh, We got a few stories today. I would say today's going to be a Mr. C light. You know, we're not going to go as deep and as heavy as we did yesterday. When we were talking about all of those wretched, wretched Clinton connections and uh, the Durham report, which I might say that episode's quite good, uh, kind of uh, received a lot more attention on that one than I was expecting. But uh, good nonetheless, it's all about getting the information out there, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about who says it or how they say it. Although, quite consequently, how they say it could truly affect uh, the meaning of the terms. But uh, nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will be examining a few of President Trump's statements today. As per the huge, it seems that President Trump shall be framing uh, today's broadcast. So, yeah, we're going to actually take a look at uh, some of the endorsees that President Trump has recently signed. Now, you might remember yesterday... I had mentioned that President Trump had released a herald of statements in the last uh, 24 hours. What would now be 48 hours, I guess, if you considered it. But uh, I was like, we got too much stuff to cover here when we're talking about this Durham indictment. This Durham indictment. We don't got time to talk about these endorsements. Well, we got a treat for you guys today. Uh, I think because quite often... We look at the endorsees, we read the words, and we take heed and uh, basically have faith. 
basically we're ready to hold them accountable just in case they're a rhino in the grass, right? Someone who uh, signs up for President Trump's endorsement earns it, gets it, receives it, is gifted it, awarded it, and then they turn tail on him. Yuck. Well, I'm willing to bet if it's not by uh, if it's not by intention, perhaps it's by divine providence that uh, those whom President Trump endorses either truly deserve it or they truly deserve the light to be shined on them. Do you know what I mean? I think you do, ladies and gentlemen. I think you do. So uh, tonight we're actually going to take a look at his latest endorsees. Okay, I mean, we're going to take a look at them. Okay, we got about, I think, four or five of them. He released about four or five endorsements in the last 24 hours. Well, it'd be 48 now, but he did them all in one shot. A lot of them. Oh, we got someone from Idaho. Oh, we got someone from Texas. Oh, we got someone from Florida. It's going to be a really interesting examination. Uh, some of them have some pretty funny stories to them. I think that uh, you might remember. Don't you just hate it when the teacher says, do you remember? <laughs> but I'm not a teacher, so don't worry about it. There's no quiz after this. But uh, So we're actually going to dig into his endorsees, the most recent round of them. Uh, I think uh, I think that'd be a pretty interesting story for all of us to um, uh, to follow. You know, as as these uh, individuals have now had their political careers propelled by the endorsement, uh, the complete and total endorsement of one uh, President Donald J. Trump. Uh, it is the most envied endorsement in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I think uh, the only thing that's more envied in the world is the American vote ladies and gentlemen, is the only other thing that's more envied in the world when we're talking about uh, something that you don't put on paper because we don't have paper voting anymore. Ha! Okay, anyways, that was, uh, that was a pretty bad joke. Sorry, guys. Was that too fresh? I apologize. I apologize. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll, uh, we'll take a look at these, uh, these uh, latest endorsements. I think, it, I think you guys will uh, see it as fun. Uh, we'll take a little look at the uh, New Jersey race. Uh, what was it? The Senate president race. Hello, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He had to concede. Uh, of course, I am talking about uh, Senator Sweeney, Senate president over there in New Jersey. He had to concede. I mean, after all, when uh, you got everyone in America up in arms about how uh, Governor Phil Murphy basically had that election rigged for him. And pardon me, guys, I'm trying not to mince my words here like Adam Schiff did on The View. You guys all saw that, didn't you? <laughs> I know I'm not the law. I know I am not the only one who caught Adam Schiff's slip of the word election, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, let's move along from that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna entertain potty, uh, potty humor tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, sound like such a dork. Anyways, it's okay. It's all good. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, considering how uh, Bill Murphy had that entire New Jersey election rigged for him, all they had to do was get a little bit cartoonish about the way that they've always rigged elections in New Jersey. And then add in, of course, the caveat that you can dump in a bunch of ballots over midnight. 
yeah, that's exactly how they did it. Uh, it seems to be lost on everyone, however, that there is a very specific procedure that happens in every New Jersey election in every county. I don't hear anyone talking about this, so I don't think anyone really cares to fix New Jersey. Uh, but maybe, maybe somewhere on the ground in New Jersey, there is a New Jerseyan who is trying to get this taken care of from behind the scenes. I've already said it. I don't know how many times. I don't hear anyone else talking about it. I guess no one cares. Or maybe they just think I'm wrong. I don't know, guys. I mean, but there is a root problem in the New Jersey elections that needs to be solved. It's a problem that's as broken as the Texas Secretary of State office. It's a problem that needs to be taken care of. And it has nothing to do with ballots being dumped in the middle of the night. Ladies and gentlemen, go and take care of your state, New Jersey. Okay? I've already talked about it. If you don't remember, just shoot me a line and I'll, I'll refresh your memory, guys. Uh, but it seems to me that as it resonates and sparkles with my soul, that it is probably something that should be considered particularly when you have a county clerk admitting that it is commonplace that these procedures happen in every election and in every county. Do you guys remember? You got to start taking notes, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, okay. Oh, and then we'll also uh, wrap it up tonight. We won't wrap it up. Actually, I'll tell you what we'll wrap it up with. Uh, we're going to take a look at a, an individual by the name of Blake Masters. Now, Blake Masters is apparently a brand new Republican running in Arizona for the uh, Senate seat that one Attorney General Brnovich is also running for. So I find this to be actually quite interesting. I thought I'd share it with you guys. We're going to take a look at who Blake Masters is. He seems to be pretty spot on with everything that he talks about. He looks like just about every boy I've ever partied with, but that's aside from the point. And while we're in Arizona, we'll talk a little bit about the toughest sheriff in America. You guys know him. You guys love him. You might remember him as one sheriff, Joe Arpaio, and his latest effort to maintain public office. He will be running for mayor in Fountain Hills, Arizona. So we'll talk a little bit about that, and we will wrap up tonight with a lovely little interview between President Trump and one Mr. Wayne Allen Root. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, we've got it all for you here tonight. Trump statements, Trump interviews, and an introduction to a whole bunch of people in the political field that uh, might be of interest in the next coming months to years. And a throwback to the lovely Joe Arpaio, whom all of us were pretty endeared to after he called out Obama on his fake birth certificates. But nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's stories come to you from the Chattanoogan, W-A-T-E News 6, Tennessee, Chattanooga Times Free Press, The Houston Chronicle, The Odessa American, KTVB7 News, The Epoch Times, The Associated Press, The Week, and Bannon's War Room. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I don't make this stuff up on my own. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into tonight's uh, report. And we are going to start with uh, President Trump's statements. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, ain't no time to be a-wasting. 
All right. What does President Trump have to say today or yesterday? But today, because you're with me here today, CNN just aired a fake documentary on the presidential election fraud of 2020. The only thing they did not discuss were the tremendous number of findings indicating what a complete sham the election was. Would have been nice to have discussed the facts that have been pouring in from each of many states concerning the crime of the century. Are we supposed to have a fraudulent election that is allowed to stand while our country is being simultaneously or taneously, if you see uh, my, myself on the screen there, destroyed? Good question, President Trump. Good question. Yeah, I find it quite amazing that the mainstream, mainstream fake news media, legacy media, still has uh, the ability to lie through its teeth. Well, I guess this is a well-owned and trained ability. Practice makes perfect, as the cliche goes. And uh, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that uh, the mainstream, mainstream fake news legacy media is still lying. It, in spite of the fact, or is it despite the fact, that just as President Trump said, all of this information is coming in across from st multiple states, not even just one. Uh, we got Wisconsin. Uh, we got a whole load that just came out of Georgia. Now, ladies and gentlemen, put a one in the chat if you have heard me say that we could decertify Georgia yesterday. For months, I've said that. If you don't put a one, well, you weren't taking notes, okay? <laughs> Anyways, so as I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, yes, Georgia could have been decertified for months. Wisconsin is blowing up in their face. Actually, all of this is happening quite beautifully, quite beautifully. I feel like the powder keg is going to be Michigan, right? I think Michigan's going to blow up for some reason. I don't know why. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't mean blow up literally, okay? I mean like election fraud truth is going to blow up in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is going to happen. Timing, it seems, is something that could possibly be important in the grand scheme of things, but don't take my word for it. You can go talk to Dave about that one. Don't know the man personally, all right? Don't conflate that statement, okay? <laughs> all right. Here's the next statement from President Trump. With an approval rating at 19% in Wyoming, people are wise to Liz Cheney. Yeah, I would say they're pretty wise. 19% is pretty darn low. She is a threat to free and fair elections, which are the cornerstone of our country, because she caved so easily on the crime of the century. She is happy to join the Democrats in the unselect committee, the next Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, and spread more of their lies. Cheney is far more unpopular than her father. Wow. I mean, actually, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably true. Who just lost his position as the least popular vice president in American history to Kamala Harris. You think uh, you think good old Dick is going to want that want going to want that position back? <laughs> oh man, that is uh that's some stuff right there. If we had a free and fair media instead of a corrupt media, 
Those election results would never have been allowed to happen. The proof of irregularities and fraud is massive. Today, we indeed did get a twofer from one President Trump where he's just drawing attention, drawing attention, drawing attention to the election fraud that occurred. It's occurred, guys. People who are awake and aware, they know it. People who are observing, they know it. They may not know what's going on, but they know something is untoward here. They've been observing it, okay? Believe it or not, but uh, I think on any side of the political line or divide, you got a lot of pragmatic people on either side. And they're like, this stuff's happened since 1963. And then they're like, dang, what is going on here? Even I don't vouch for this. They may not be quite to the point of buyer's remorse, but uh, how can you have remorse for something you didn't buy, right? In this instance, it was more like, uh, you know, the clerks at the grocery store were handing you the spoiled milk and saying, this is your president. Deal with it. Okay. No buyer's remorse here. We just don't want to shop at that store anymore. And uh, that's where America is broken right now. But uh, it'll get fixed. She always finds a way. We find a way, guys. We don't got to sound like a liberal scientist from Jurassic Park just to say life finds a way. Okay, and uh, to be quite frank, I don't even like that scientist from Jurassic Park. I liked the guy who required the password. Nah, ah, 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 ah. All right. Aurelius Locke, Ohio Kimmy, thank you for putting those ones in the audience uh, chat box over there. Oh, that makes my heart feel good. And uh, Tam Growl, good evening, says, tornado warning. Uh, oh, no, girl, get downstairs. You in danger, girl. Okay, I'm sure you'll be fine. I didn't know, Tam Growl, oh, wait, Tam Growl, you're over up in Oklahoma, aren't you? Okay. Um, thinking of someone else who's a little bit further, uh, closer to where I am. Stay safe indeed, Tam Growl. Oh, man, you probably have a storm shelter. Good for you. I have none. I live in a loft on the third floor. There's nothing above me but God and a tornado. Okay. <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> you know, they say they have like two weather weapons near my neck of the woods, right? Like harp facilities. I don't know how true that is, but if they wanted to take me out, that would probably be the easiest way. They failed every other way. Pam Tate, 1776. Welcome into the chat. Good to see you. And uh, thank you for wishing well to uh, Tam Growl. Relanon, good to see you as well. Pencil Neck was a little too excited. Yeah. I was like, it's his chance to talk about an insurrection. And what does he say? He was like, in my erection. <laughs> Terrible. You in danger, girl. Thank you for the uh, cookie, Ohio Kimmy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, our prayers will go out to Tam Growl. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, while we're on while we're on the topic of sending out prayers, uh, I just wanted to uh, 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 let uh, just to say a, a prayer, uh, you know, to have your thoughts, your feelings, your prayers, your positive energy, your good love and your power uh, to peeled by the rabbit as he is currently in um, a family situation. I'm not going to expand on because it's not my story to tell. But uh, let's just say those positive vibes and those uh, prayers of love and strength will go a long way tonight if you guys could have him in your prayers tonight, him and his family. All right, guys, let's go ahead and carry on with what we got tonight for you all before we get too long about it. Don't want to do that now. Okay, guys. Well, we are going to start our foray into... 
the endorsees of President Trump. So keep in mind, we are still reading President Trump uh, statements, but these are his endorsements. Uh, I got about four of them here. We're going to take a look at each one of these endorsees and we're going to figure out whether or not we trust them. You know, like I kept saying, guys, Trump endorsed um, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin at least twice in one year. Okay. Like one was months ago, like in May or August. And then again, recently, right before basically the gubernatorial election day, you know, and, uh, but I have a gitchy feeling about Glenn Youngkin. I do. Uh, some of the friends in the chat have uh, pointed out that, um, you know, uh, he's worked for big, 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 big uh, banking. Wasn't he a council on foreign relations is, is one of the names that seems to come up. Okay. Uh, that he has worked in conjunction with. All right. So, uh, and as one of the top dogs. All right. So now uh, it is my experience that while the Council on Foreign Relations is a uh, is an organization that really kind of earmarks uh, the uh, elitist globalist transhumanist uh, movement. Right. As per world organizations, there are some people in that organization that either it would put them in the bad side or you'd wonder what is going on here. Is there something more going on here? Uh, I speak specifically of one Patrick Byrne who funded the Maricopa County uh, in, in, in part, I would say in a large part funded the Maricopa County forensic audit of the 2020 elections in Phoenix, Arizona. Now um, with that in mind, Glenn Youngkin was also up there on the big old board with them too. So, you know, those kind of things, they make you wonder, which is exactly why we're going to do it. We're at least going to skim to the second layer of flesh with these endorsees, ladies and gentlemen, tonight and uh, take a look at what they say. So let's start with this first endorsee, this first endorsee from President Trump in his statement. Now, uh, this is Congressman Chuck Fleischman, ladies and gentlemen. This is Congressman Chuck Fleischman who's being endorsed by President Trump. Now, Chuck Fleissman is of Tennessee. So uh, let's see what uh, President Trump had to say about Chuck Fleischman. He says, Congressman Chuck Fleischman is a terrific advocate for the wonderful people of Tennessee. He works tirelessly, tirelessly to lower taxes, secure our borders, and defend our country. Oh, sorry, guys. I had to stop there real quick. Because I saw something in the chat I thought was important to correct. Uh, I just said Glenn Youngkin and the Council on Foreign Relations. It's actually the Carlisle Group, okay, which I think is uh, just as bad, if not worse, okay? <laughs> the Carlisle Group, and he was the CFO slash CFO, CEO of the Carlisle Group, okay? Now, we all know... A bunch of big wig globalists and elitists work with the Carlisle Group, least of all, or most of all, rhinos, right? So like I said, thank you, Relly Slock. I appreciate that quick tip. Uh, the Carlisle Group guys uh, and rhino hood, Glenn Youngkin, right? That's kind of what I'm talking about here. And, you know, I've even had uh, friends express the same concerns to me months ago about Glenn Youngkin. But again, guys, 
we uh, unfortunately, it seems that sometimes we have to pick the better of the two and then we have to hold them accountable, which means we cannot let up on them, which means we cannot stop digging on them. We cannot stop watching them. Who watches these people? We watch the people because we put them in there and we can't just uh, blindly hope that they uh, fulfill their duties with nothing untoward or selfish in their own path. It is up to us, ladies and gentlemen, to do that. We have to remain engaged. But uh, I don't need to. Uh, I don't need to preach that to this particular choir, because I think a lot of you guys already understand that. Now let's get back to the statement by Chuck. Uh, by by Chuck. Hey Chuck, what's up? By President Trump regarding Congressman Fleischman. Uh, President Trump goes on to say he works tirelessly to lower taxes, secure our borders, and defend our country. He strongly supports our uh, brave military, vets, and law enforcement, and he will always protect our Second Amendment. Chuck has my complete and total endorsement. And so just like with any of these endorsees that uh, we begin to see, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one has to wonder, well, you know, uh, who exactly is this Chuck Fleischman? Have you guys ever heard about him? I haven't, um, you know, not to sound any type of way, but, you know, he doesn't look too memorable, right? Which means he hasn't done any grandstanding on the podiums. He hasn't pulled a marionette Miller Meeks and was like, I want justice! Coming from this, uh, you know, this uh, tiny mousy body you know, voice, you know, this uh, little, this, 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 this uh, meek woman, Miller Meeks, hello. <laughs> he hasn't done something like that, okay? He hasn't gotten out there and really just brought down, uh, you know, the building uh, with, uh, you know, provocations uh, against the deep state and the elitist and globalists. But Chuck Fleischman has done some other things, guys. Uh, he has supported legislation to block funding for Biden's vaccine mandate, which is a pretty good start. But, you know, a lot of a lot of senators and Republicans a lot of uh, representatives and senators, Republican or not, uh, can do that, right? They they can do that. They, I mean, look at Chip Roy. Chip Roy is totally against all of these things with COVID, but uh, he totally believes that Texas should give up their elections to the federal government. Chip Roy, we haven't forgotten about you yet here at the Sea Report, buddy. We have not forgotten about you, okay? Because uh, there's a few things that are more important than my health, and that would be my freedom, boy. All right. Okay, let's get back to Chuck uh, Fleischman. So uh, Chuck Fleischman supports legislation for blocking funding to uh, Biden's vaccine mandate. So one's like, okay, so he opposes the mandate. Okay, so what is the step that um, Chuck Fleischman is taking, Representative Fleischman is taking in order to curve that mandate. So, you know, they have to kind of like, uh, they have to uh, war game their way in to stop it, uh, whether it's on a technicality, if it's not just on a virtue, or if it's just not on a moral, or if it's just not on our God-given rights to decide what goes into our body, they have to find some technical monetary ways in order to stop or stifle these mandates. So that's kind of the uh, perspective objective that uh, one like uh, Representative Fleischman has taken. And I do apologize, Aurelius. I didn't mean to pick a yeasty picture of Mr. Fleischman. <laughs> that's funny. Anyways, okay, I'll wait till we move along. Now, uh, 
Fleischman joined uh, House Resolution 5811, which is otherwise called the No Vaccine Mandate Act. And he's one of the original co-sponsors to block President-Select Joe Biden from using the Department of Labor and OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, from issuing an order that would force employers of more than 100 employees to impose and enforce a vaccine mandate on their employees. Because if you guys didn't realize it or remember, uh, Biden just went uh, to the uh, private sector with that not too long ago, wanting OSHA to finally step up and step in. Now, a lot of people tend to ask the question, if uh, the Biden administration even has the infrastructure to get OSHA to accomplish this. But ladies and gentlemen, if you've worked in any service industry, you know for a fact that all it requires is a boss that is willing and uh, someone to come from OSHA and inspect. They don't need handcuffs. They don't need weapons. They don't need a thousand OSHA employees. They don't need. Uh, they don't need anyone. Uh, they don't need to create an extra office in OSHA, because OSHA, on standard practice, as a standard operating procedure, will visit a company. Okay, once a year, twice a year, depending on how bad this business scores. OSHA is already in their business. Okay, so all OSHA has to do is say, "Okay, Mr. President Select Biden." We'll go along with, with this fake mandate, okay? And we'll send one of our representatives, whom is already on our payroll, who's already part of this business route, okay, to inspect the business, to uh, instill the fear of God and death in their heart, and then that employee employer will comply. It doesn't take any extra money for them to enable this or enact this in OSHA itself. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration used to visit my places of employment twice a year, okay? And uh, as an operations manager, I know exactly how they handled their business, what they looked at, and what they did. And it boiled down to this, a piece of paper with a checklist and a signature, okay? And... Uh, that doesn't take too much more money. They don't need a whole lot more infrastructure or funds to go just to do something that they've always done. I'm sure they might ask for some. All right. Get your checklist out. Ask your questions. Uh, maybe go do a, a random survey of employees to see if they know what they're, uh, if, they're if they've tested, if they have uh, been vaccinated, if they have their vaccine cards, if it's on file. Maybe go and uh, poke around HR and make sure they all have uh, everything is checked out nice and clearly. That's all it takes, guys. You don't need an entire new office of OSHA to impose this fake mandate on the private sector. All you need is an OSHA that's willing to comply and an employer that is afraid and will uh, will will be complicit or will submit to the fine. They're afraid of the fine, okay? So all OSHA needs is a piece of paper and a checklist and maybe a little fine tablet where they say uh, this company will hereby be fined X amount of thousands of dollars for violating this. Uh, if you do not correct this within 30 to 60 to 90 days, whatever it is, we will return. And upon that uh, check, you know, you may be shut down. 
Okay. That's all it takes. You don't need to open a whole new, you don't need to hire a thousand new OSHA people. All you need to do is uh, go down your route and go to every business and uh, intimidate them. That's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen. That is literally all it takes. So what uh, Sen uh, what uh, Representative Fleischman has done here is uh, he has this HR fifty eight eleven, the no mandate, uh, the no va vaccine mandate. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly why we're not on screw tube tonight because we're talking about the vaccines early on in the episode. And you know those college kids they get tired after the first ten minutes, but you know, they're required to watch at least an hour. I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys could tell me. But uh, so let's take a look um, at this uh, this bill. It's it's pretty basic, guys. Basically, all it says is that uh, no government funding will go towards OSHA to implement anything that has to do with vaccines. So it's it's pretty self-explanatory in itself. It's not it's not rocket science. OK, um, it says here, H.R. 5811 to amend the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services, and Related Agencies Appropriations Act 2022 to prohibit the use of funds related to any rule requiring a COVID-19 vaccination and for other purposes. Short title, this act may be cited as the No Vaccine Mandate Act. Title five of the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services, and Education-Related Agencies Appropriations Act 2022 is amended by inserting after section 529 the following section 530 none uh none of the funds made available by this act may be used to develop implement administer or enforce any rule that requires covid-19 vaccination so they're literally attacking this from a uh financial perspective is what this bill is doing. That's uh, one of the, co uh, that is what uh, Representative Fleischman as a co-sponsor is doing. Uh, some of the other people who uh, have signed on to this, ranking member Kay Granger of Texas. She's a big rhino, guys. She's a big rhino, can't stand Granger. She's got to go, but uh, she's the ranking member of the Republicans on the House Appropriations Committee. She's also co-sponsored this bill along with 16 other representatives, also to include Representative Tom Cole of Oklahoma, who is the top Republican on the Labor, Health and Human Services and Education Subcommittee. So uh, that's some of the work he's doing there, Representative Fleischman. Ah, looky here. We got a little video for you all. Uh, let's see a little bit more about Fleischman. Why not, guys? Let's uh, dip in. Uh, we have this video here about Fleischman, and uh, so you get to see him in action. You know, there's there's nothing like seeing someone, listening to someone to kind of get a sense about them. So we're going to do that with these candidates tonight, too. I shouldn't say candidates. I should say endorsees. That's uh, moy, moy appropriate to say endorsees because that's what they are. So uh, here we have uh, Representative Fleischman in the flesh talking on uh one of uh one of maria's sunday shows it's not morning futures might be, might be her weekly one uh but he's talking about um the border crisis in this one so let's uh let's get a sense of what this man has to say and then we will move along ladies and gentlemen i also want to talk about another 
misstep or disaster, rather, uh, is Biden's border policy. Now, the Biden administration is set to bring back President Biden, President Trump's border policy, the Remain in Mexico policy, in the middle of next month. But this is after the Biden company were ordered to reinstate it by a federal right. judge. Will this make a difference in terms of beginning to secure our border? It certainly will. And I'm so glad that you said that. The United States Supreme Court actually compelled them to do that. They didn't want to do that. Um, in my role as the ranking member, the highest Republican on the Homeland Security Appropriations Subcommittee, I have advocated for this policy, along with a reinstatement of the Trump era policies to secure the border. Let's be honest with people. We had secured the border. Crossings were low. If we talk to the throngs of people coming over illegally, they're honestly telling people that Joe Biden invited them into this country. They've been told by criminals, coyotes and cartels, that they are welcome here without any problem. We had people from Haiti who were in Brazil and Chile coming over. Now are sitting back in Haiti because they were duped. They were duped not only by the cartels, but by the Biden administration. We need a total recalibration, whether it's on the domestic economy, the foreign policy. Think about it. France takes our, our, uh, our ambas their ambassador away and clearly on the border. This is a crisis everywhere we look. And the Biden administration tries to change narrative to narrative. Let's face it, the narrative right now is failure. Yep. The American people need to demand more. James Freeman, jump in here. Yeah, thanks. I'm also kind of wondering about the role of the government of Mexico in all this. There was an interesting uh, piece in the Dallas Morning News this week uh, suggesting that uh, part of the reason why you're seeing this increase in uh, migration is uh, uh, whether uh, it's an overall policy or just kind of a drift, uh, there seems to be less cooperation from the government of Mexico. Is that how you see it? Yes. As a matter of fact, Mexico has a problem on its southern border. We just received a briefing, non-classified briefing, so I can talk with you about it, from Border Patrol people at the highest levels. Mexico has its own problems. Fortunately, they are sitting down with us now and speaking again. But remember, President Trump did it the right way. He didn't ask Mexico, he told Mexico, look, you're gonna do this, this, or this, or we're gonna do this, this, and that. And they understood that. It was good for Mexico, it was good for the United States, and it curbed illegal immigration into this country. Right now it's porous, they're pouring across, and the worst news is more folks are coming. But yes, Mexico has its own internal problems, and hopefully they will work with us to curb it. Congressman Chuck Fleischman, thank you for being here this morning. Pleasure. Congressman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. There's Fleischman in the Fleisch. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Talking a little bit about the border. So now you got a sense of what this man uh, kind of looks like, sounds like, talks like. Uh, he's done a few other things. Of course, he's also suffered some attacks before we get into the attacks. Uh, let's talk about uh, his work for uh, the Cherokee Nation in Tennessee. He is from Tennessee, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, he's actually successfully passed a bill in the uh, Congress, State House, you know, or not State House, Capitol House, right? Okay. Uh, in which they would return 76 acres of land in Monroe County, Tennessee, back to the Cherokee tribe. 
whom historically known as the uh, Overhill Cherokee, uh, were considered to be the um, uh, the capital of Cherokee Nation. Okay, so he's he's been he's been working at that. He actually had the bill passed in three separate uh, three separate uh, Congress. 2015, 16, no, 16, 17, and uh, now again in 2021. Uh, the only reason why it has not been signed into law to re uh, restore, or as the uh, as the bill is called, uh, the Eastern Band of Cherokee Historic Lands Reacquisition Act. The only reason why it has not passed the 117th or 15th or 16th Congress is because no one on the Senate has picked up an identical bill. Pretty sad. Who are your state senators, Tennessee? <clears throat> oh, wait, that's Kentucky's Rand Paul. My bad. I was like, because the Cherokee need their land back. Like I was saying, um, he is still getting attacked. Uh, the Tennessee press is uh, actually pretty good at attacking him. Uh, that is, again, local. Uh, it kind of makes me wonder, and I kind of see the same signs here, ladies and gentlemen, about how the local press are really funded by uh, dark money, left interests, leftist interests, right? And uh, most of them are uh, housed under 501c3 nonprofit organizations imposing as news, okay? And uh, this is where they get a lot of their money from. Uh, kind of what this uh, reminds me of, Let's just take a real quick look at what some of the Tennessee press is saying about one uh, representative Fleischman. Beware of our GOP politicians about face on Tennessee and Georgia infrastructure. So this is from uh, the Chattanooga Times Free Press. OK, basically what these guys are saying in this article is that uh, they are throwing it in his face that he voted against the infrastructure package. OK, they're throwing it in his face that he said no to this bogus infrastructure package. Of course, they pl they pull out all of the stops here. Talking about, let's scroll down here real quick. Um, uh, as Biden termed it, it's a once in a generation investment that's going to create millions of jobs. Uh, they they lay down everything that they're expecting out of it um, in uh, in Tennessee. Okay, and of course, uh, they're saying here. They're saying here. Despite all the Republican naysaying, the more than $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill passed the House. Um, this is money for sorely needed highways and bridges, and then they go on to attack him. Uh, instead, you can expect to see some of them donning their ceremonial hard hat shovels, best photo ops, etc. cetera. Uh, our third district congressman, U.S. Chuck Fleischman, will pretend he never said the bill would lead to higher inflation. Economists say it won't in the long term and results in robbing East Tennesseans of their wages. So that's just one example there. And then we have this one here from the Tennessee Lookout. Now, uh, this Tennessee Lookout struck me very much so as one of those um, 501c3s uh, masquerading as, um, you know, a press or as a newspaper. Because if you try and look at their website, it blocks you. Um, and it says here, all seven of the state's Republican congressmen voted against the bill while our senators lobbed insults. Okay, that's about uh, about as descriptive as it gets. There's no secret that Tennesseans' infrastructure is woeful condition. Yada yada yada. Um, let's see here, and it goes on down to say, it talks about Marsha Blackburn. Marsha Blackburn, why aren't you signing on for the Cherokee, Senator Marsha Blackburn? Anyways, okay, <laughs> I kid. 
I'm sure she has a reason. I am not in. I'm not in Tennessee. I don't got a. I don't got a, a dog in that fight. Uh, district three representative Ch Chuck Fleischman, in whose district a large chunk of concrete overpass railing collapsed in the middle of I-75 in 2019, joined his fellow GOP congressman in voting against the bill, which is slated to deliver 5.8 billion dollars for federal aid highway apportioned programs and 302 million dollars for bridge replacement and repairs and uh i don't know probably like five billion dollars in critical race theory and uh early homosexual masturbation techniques for five-year-olds right but they don't tell you that so anyways that's what the, that's an angle that they're attacking him on locally so this way uh people's heartstrings will be pulled and uh you know they'll be like this guy's definitely not for us but again, this is a man who's been endorsed by President Trump. I would say, uh, I would say, based on things that I've seen and heard about him, I'm on the up and up with this one. I think he could, uh, think he could be someone that uh, could be, uh, you know, trustworthy. But we'll see. You never know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't dig much deeper than recent headlines with this man. So I would have to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, but he's also, also trying to block. Uh, Biden's plan, which I should say was passed in the infrastructure plan, uh, to get those bank deposit disclosures that are over $600. Yeah, he's also been fighting to stop that as well and uh, prevent the Biden administration or the Biden regime, as well as the uh, unconstitutional Federal Reserve and IRS from violating our personal privacy in regards to our money and banking matters. So that is one representative Chuck Fleischman endorsed by President Trump just yesterday. All right. The next guy we got as an endorsee of President Trump is a man that they call August Fluger. August Fluger is from Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what President Trump had to say about August Fluger. Uh, President Trump said, Congressman August Fluger is doing a phenomenal job representing the people of Texas an Air Force veteran, August, strongly supports our military and vets, defends our country, and protects our Second Amendment. He fights to lower your taxes, secure our borders, and strengthen our economy. August has my complete and total endorsement. Augustus! Save some for later, Augustus. So there you go. That is uh, August Fluger. For those of you who happen to be in the Texas area who might be curious, I went ahead and pulled up a map of where he actually, his district is, okay? He uh, currently has uh, Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, okay? So he's got a pretty big chunk of land all about right here. If you can see my little uh, cursor on the screen. Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, I think a little bit of Abilene. So he's not necessarily West Texas, but uh, more Central West Texas. And then with the uh, redrawing of the mapping, the, the uh, district lines, uh, it seems like he might lose some of Midland, but he's going to go further into Central Texas and uh, take some uh, areas over here heading towards like Cedar Park and stuff like that. So Copperas Cove and all that area is where, uh, is where this man who's endorsed by Trump will now be overseen come 2023. Uh, but let me get this off the screen for you real quick, guys. Oh, yeah. We've got a video, ladies and gentlemen. 
we've got a video about uh, this man again. Uh, this is um, uh, August Fluger. Now, um, let's see here. Yeah, actually, let's just play this video. It's a real quick one. We'll actually really get a sense of August Fluger. He appears here on the Washington Journal, um, which I'm sure is uh, totally, totally, totally uh, leftist. Uh, but they seem to be rather um, passive or maybe uh, just complacent. I don't know. Uh, let's let's check it out, guys. Uh, this is a thorough introduction to August Luger. Like, they ask him, uh, who is your daddy and what does he do? Okay, <laughs> so let's take a look. Oh, my God. We want to welcome to our program for the first time Congressman August Luger. He's a Republican of Texas, serving in his first term. He's the top Republican on the Homeland Security Committee Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee. Sir, let's just begin with what did you do before you ran for Congress? Well, Greta, thanks for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to be on. And this is my first term. Before that, I, I served in the Air Force uh, for two decades and deployed all over the world. I was a fighter pilot and I had a lot of combat time and uh, a lot of time overseas facing the threats that I think this country should really be focusing on right now. I grew up in Texas and came from a a ranching family and so know the uh, agriculture side of business and um, I'm from San Angelo, Texas, but represent Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, very proud of the the really hardworking patriotic people that I represent and, uh, and what they do, not only in agriculture, but also in the oil and gas industry and providing affordable, reliable energy, not just for America, but also for a lot of our partners and allies around the world. Where do your conservative values and views come from? You know, they're very much aligned with uh, the, the people that I represent. And when, when you look at kind of the agrarian mindset, and I think this is probably true throughout the rest of the country, but certainly in Texas, the 29 counties, the 28,000 square miles, you know, people, I think out in my district, we just, we want to raise our families. I have three daughters, they're young daughters, and we want to make sure that uh, that they grow up to to understand service, that they are committed to um, the values that the Constitution sets out, uh, that, that we leave this this country and this world in a better place than we found it. Uh, and so, you know, when I kind of look at that mindset, I went to the Air Force Academy and understand uh, what the founders wrote into the Constitution. And I think my conservative values come from that perspective and that lens. Why did you decide to run for Congress? What do you want to accomplish? Well, it's a million dollar question, and especially, um, you know, when it when it comes to transitioning from the military and into politics, I think the most important thing for me, Greta, is this. I studied for two decades as an F-22 pilot, as an F-15 pilot, somebody who worked in NATO on the National Security Council. The, the threats that our country is facing right now, I believe, are the most egregious threats that we've seen in decades. And I want to focus on those threats and make sure that we keep our eye on the ball. And as a country, that we do the right thing economically, militarily, diplomatically, that we focus on the threats, that we continue to, to have a strong country, that we do everything we can to increase our influence around the world. I mean, the greatest generation, my grandfather was part of that in World War II. And what they taught us is that freedom is not free. You have to stand up for it. And I don't want to lose ground that we have gained in the last 70 plus years since World War II, I want to make sure that we actually increase our influence and our values around the world. And as sitting on foreign affairs 
and Homeland Security. I think it's a perfect start to my congressional career to use my experiences and to hopefully increase our good democratic values that, that I think the rest of the world is really yearning for. Joint Chief of Staff General Mark Milley making headlines on the front page of the Washington Times saying the hypersonic weapon uh, is a like is like a Sputnik moment for him, sounding the alarm on China. Your thoughts? Well, it is. And my first assignment, operational assignment, was in Japan uh, on the island of Okinawa. And I've been studying China for over 20 years. And it really is the most concerning thing that I think militarily we've seen. And this is exactly why there's a lot of distractions going on in this country. But I think people like me with our experiences, General Milley is right to say that that is a Sputnik-like moment. We have got to make sure as a country that we're focused on what China is doing, on what Russia is doing. And as we look towards the, you know, even the near term, the next one to two, three years, how are we responding? Are we responding from a position of strength? And do we have the tools that are required to deter any sort of unilateral action that one of these countries may decide to do that is against the value system that the post-World War II world has seen. And that's that's what I'm focused on. I'm glad you asked that. And, and I'm very worried about seeing that latest test and seeing the the results of what that could mean for the, the world. Why? What is a hypersonic weapon? Well, it, it basically, it, it's a weapon that, that travels at such a speed that, you know, you, you can put a warhead on it, whether conventional or nuclear, um, and it's very difficult to defend against. And so when you consider what those weapons can do, not just with range, but also with time, I mean, holding targets accountable, it, it comes down to, do you have the range to do that? Can you get into the air defense system? And is the time such that it's, it's shortened where you don't, an enemy or, or an adversary doesn't have time to respond? So if you're looking at it from China's perspective, they now have a very fast, very long range capable weapon that uh, is very tough to defend against. And, and who is threatened by China? Well, let's start economically. The Belt and Road Initiative, I think you look at the countries that China has gone into and, you know, they, they offer some maybe very attractive initial deals, but take Sri Lanka and the port that we saw that was expropriated after they weren't able to complete the terms of debt. And, and China goes in and says, well, now the port is ours. And so I think the threatened piece involves any country that can't live up to maybe unknown measures that they use, then you go into the digital world. And we know that intellectual property has been a very important aspect of a trade deal that we've been trying to do with China. We wanna make sure that our intellectual property and, and that our uh, technology is protected um, and that, that we, we get a good fair deal in any sort of uh, trade issue. So as, as they march across um, the Indian subcontinent and into the Middle East and into Europe, I think those countries that are our allies and our partners have a lot to lose and are at risk when it comes to those things. And that's not even getting into the military side of it, like you just mentioned with hypersonic weapons. So Taiwan is the number one country that is threatened right now. And they, they are very worried about Xi Jinping's desire to unify and desire to take Taiwan by force. And I, I um, have a lot of empathy for their situation. I think that's why it's so important that us as the United States, as the beacon of freedom, make sure that we continue to lead on deterrence and that the world order is not disrupted by unilateral action for China to take Taiwan by force, which is what we've been, I think, saying for a long time, those of us who have studied this issue.
Should the U.S. defend Taiwan with military force? Well, absolutely, we should defend them. And I, and I think that's our posture has been such that we, we have a presence throughout the Far East. We have a presence in Japan and in Korea. And, and we make sure that, uh, that, that through our exercises, joint exercises, international exercises, that, that our resolve and our commitment um, to Taiwan is strong. I want to invite our viewers to call. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty confident with this man. I'm actually kind of uh, pleased that with the redrawing of the district boundaries that he'll be moving a little bit closer into Central Texas. Um, and this is a first term representative, ladies and gentlemen, in Texas. Look at this man serving on the Homeland Security Committee and ranking member of this committee it's and that committee. Let me see. Throughout the counterterrorism subcommittee. This man's got it down, ladies and gentlemen, aside from the fact that he's also, you know, served the country as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I would say I'm pretty confident in this man and uh, his abilities to uh, do what he says he's going to do. Uh, again, this man has received that endorsement from President Trump, complete and total. Uh, now, uh, this man also uh, recently um, honored veterans on the House floor. Uh, it seems that um, he honored several local veterans on the floor of the United States House of Representatives in advance of Veterans Day. So this man is indeed for veterans, just as President Trump said, including a Midlander and a World War II hero by the name of Bill Womack. Uh, so Fluger reportedly honored these veterans, including Bill Womack, Phil George, Maynard Schwartner, Gilberto Torres, and J.L. Stevensons. We thank them for their service, who all served their country with honor and bravery. And these veterans were dedicated, um, dedicated their lives in service, not only to their country, but also to the local communities in West Texas. So the man is... Uh, it seems that he's quite honest about his word. He's not uh, one of those people that mints his words. And uh, he does what he says. He is also very much against natural gas price tax hikes that seem to be what uh, the Democrats and the left-leaning liberals, the progressives, the socialists, and the communist sympathizers in D.C. want to do. Uh, he very much opposes... Uh, natural gas tax as the Environmental Protection Agency, we see, began to issue new methane regulations that for the first time would require reductions from existing oil and gas rules. Um, Austin Fluger was working to ensure that these new rules would not financially harm consumers. Um, the details of the new regulation will matter, according to uh, um, Representative Fluger. And uh, he says that uh, he, along with 80 other co-sponsors, have already introduced a resolution opposing a tax hike on natural gas, while such a tax is not included in the reconciliation plan announced before President-select Biden headed to Europe. Um, it is currently part of Speaker Nancy Piglosi's bill. Fluger said the goal of the resolution is to highlight the economic impact on families and jobs, Estimates are families would pay 20% immediately if a natural gas tax was enacted, and the tax would eliminate 90,000 jobs, ladies and gentlemen. 
and it would also reduce the gross domestic product by $9 billion. Now, as far as uh, Biden and his cries and his pleas to OPEC to generate more oil for the United States to consume, Fluger has also been highly critical of this illegitimate joke, otherwise known as Joe Biden, and his requests for the organization of petroleum exporting countries to increase oil production to help bring down United States energy costs. This, ladies and gentlemen, is very much so a, uh, um, a common sense issue here, ladies and gentlemen. When we see that the United States uh, had, um, had reached energy independence from all other nations, just to slip back to needing to feed at that trough is quite disgraceful. Now, uh, August Pfluger stated, we don't need OPEC oil we need Permian oil. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, that Permian basin here in Texas. Uh-huh. You got it right, sir. It is absolutely, absolutely oil patch district, Mr. Aurelius Locke. Now, uh, um, he and uh, other co-signers recognize the fuel the Permian basin provides and that the energy the Permian basin provides affects every single American. He says his strategy is to bring Democrats to uh, our side and let them know that these are bad ideas going to OPEC groveling, right? And uh, he said he's been able to get Democrats to write to the speaker to keep up the pressure. So uh, this man is working across aisles as well. That is one August Fluger of Texas. He closes by saying, I get that radicals want to solve climate change. We want to solve energy problems. Energy poverty is something the Permian Basin has addressed. Energy security is national security. And uh, I would agree with that, ladies and gentlemen. I would most definitely agree with that. Up next for President Trump endorses. This one's one of my favorites, Okay. <laughs> You might remember that smile from somewhere if you were taking notes. This is Janice McGeehan, ladies and gentlemen, and she was recently endorsed by President Trump. Now, stop me if you've heard this one. Lieutenant Governor of Idaho fighting with the Rhino Governor of Idaho. Every time he leaves the state, she just starts passing executive orders. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Let's see what President Trump had to say about Janice McGeehan. He says, Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan has been a true supporter of MAGA since the very beginning. She is brave and not afraid to stand up for the issues that matter most to the people of Idaho, a beautiful state that I won by 30.8%. Audit Idaho. Janice is great on election integrity, We'll always fight for strong borders, our cherished Second Amendment, American manufacturing, school choice, and our wonderful and hard-working farmers. I am giving Janice McGeehan my complete and total endorsement to be the next governor of Idaho. She will make a fantastic governor and will never let you down. 
ladies and gentlemen. That is a little bit about what President Trump had to say about Janice McGeehan. And uh, yeah, I get tickled every time I read these stories about Janice McGeehan. Now let's let's do a little let's do a little bit of a a, a throwback to the days of Janice McGeehan. Uh, we've only talked about her maybe uh, at the most twice here on the report. Uh, she seems to have two very strong uh, grievances that made the national headlines. Now, it appears that every time Governor Little of Idaho would leave the state, she would take the state's constitution quite literal, okay, and step in as the acting governor and start shooting off executive orders. Now, here's what she did. I, you got to love her. You got to love her gumption. She's clearly the kind of person that asks for forgiveness and not for permission. Uh, this year alone, uh, and she is also a first-term lieutenant governor, ladies and gentlemen. Gotta love these first-termers. Uh, Janet McGeehan issued two executive orders while Governor Little was out of state and she was acting governor. In May, she issued an executive order that banned mask mandates in Idaho. She's like, oh, Governor Little's going to take a little four-day trip out of town. I'm going to sign this. I'm going to sign this executive order. No more masks in Idaho. Of course, Governor Little, the rhino, promptly repealed the executive order and said the order was an irresponsible, self-serving political stunt. All right. The uh, next aggrieve, uh, grievance, uh, it's a grievance to Governor Little and it's a grievance to the people and it's a grievance to her. The exact same situation played out when Governor Little traveled down to the United States-Mexico border to hang out with his favorite rhino friends, including Governor Abbott of Texas. And uh, as acting governor, while he was in Texas, on TV, <laughs> McGeehan, McGeehan issued another executive order that banned Idaho schools and universities from requiring proof of vaccination against COVID-19. <laughs> or even from having to issue a negative test. She also contacted the Idaho National Guard about possible deployments to the Mexico border. Ladies and gentlemen, if you call this a Karen on steroids, <laughs> oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, it just, it tickles me so, okay? So as you can clearly see here, there is a clear uh, point of contention between Governor Little of Idaho and his lieutenant governor, where these two forces tend to work hand in hand. They've been sparring back and forth with each other. They are not a coordinated duo. Um, they may not even be cordial colleagues, according to the article that I got this from. Uh, but they are continuing this ongoing feud. Now, it appears that uh, this week on, uh, well, not this week, last week on Friday, uh, Lieutenant Governor McGeehan released a statement that claimed that Governor Brad Little left the gem state without notifying her. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a violation of Idaho law that makes Lieutenant Governor the acting governor when the governor's out of state. Kind of like... Uh, what happened with, uh, what's her face? Wretched Gretchen Whitmer. Remember, she's flying down to Florida, but she's not telling no one. 
Well, they were under emergency act or emergency powers. So it's a little different, but kind of the same. Now, but according to Idaho constitution and law, you know, the governor has to tell the lieutenant governor and the lieutenant governor then becomes the acting governor. Interesting enough, some people have claimed that the only reason why she cares is not because she's trying to pass. And this is rather the cynical point of view, if you ask me. It's not because she's trying to uh, pass laws that free the people of Idaho and at least give them a sense of the possibilities of freedom, but because she wants her acting governor pay. Okay, so that's a little cynical, if you ask me. Uh, when we're talking about this. But uh, like I said, she released a statement saying he left. It was in violation of Idaho state law. And um, uh, McGeehan said in her statement, did the governor fail to notify my office because he did not want me to use my position as acting governor to once again give the power and decision-making back to the people of Idaho? Oh yeah, she's definitely calling to the people of Idaho, ladies and gentlemen. Now, in a letter that was dated October 29th, Governor Little wrote to Lieutenant Governor McGeehan that the Idaho Attorney General's opinion stated that the governor not physically being in the state does not automatically invoke the Idaho Constitution to transfer powers to the Lieutenant Governor. I still like her moxie, ladies and gentlemen. She's the first term. She said herself she's learning all of this, and she's uh, taking advantage where she can, I'm sure. Now, the Idaho Attorney General's office found Little's interpretation of the state constitution as reasonable. Let's see what a local Idaho uh, news show, KTVB, KTFT, Boise Twin Falls show, the 208, had to say about this debacle. Uh, we've played, uh, we've played, um, we've played clips of uh, Lieutenant Governor McGee, and you guys might remember she walked out on an interview and basically shut it down. That's the same. That's the same uh, fire spirit here. Let's uh, let's check this out. You know, they may come from the same political party, but they certainly come at it from different directions, and that has meant a lot of the state's top two elected leaders coming at each other. And it's happened again and again in a very public way, as we've established a couple of times already this year. When the governor goes out of state, according to the constitution of the state, the lieutenant governor takes over as the one in charge of the state. And as we've seen, what, when that happens, when that's happened at least the last two times, well, we have seen some, you know, some fireworks, you might say. Well, guess what? Brad Little, Governor Brad Little, left the state again this week. But the lieutenant governor, Janice McGeehan, didn't get to do things her way this time because she says she didn't know about it. And there's some discrepancy in how each of them view who has authority when the governor is out of the state or what out of the state even means. So with the latest chapter in this saga, here's Joe Paris. The war of the words between Idaho Governor Brad Little and his Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan is flaring up again over a familiar issue. Who is acting governor when Idaho's governor leaves the state? Friday morning, the lieutenant governor's office sent out a release with the title, Governor Little Leaves State Without Properly Notifying Lieutenant Governor. In the release, the lieutenant governor writes, quote, According to the Idaho Constitution, Article 4, Section 12, and Idaho Code, Section 67-805A, the lieutenant governor is to serve as acting governor during the governor's absence from the state and to serve in that position until the governor returned to that state, end quote. 
The release finished with the quote attributed to McGee and saying, did the governor fail to notify my office because he didn't want me to use my position as acting governor to once again give the power and decision making back to the people of Idaho? Regardless of his reasons, he left the state without a governor for multiple days in direct violation of the law. Does all this sound familiar? McGeehan made this exact same point earlier this year while Little was out of state on business. In May, she issued an executive order that banned mask mandates in Idaho. Little quickly repealed the order and said the whole thing was, quote, an irresponsible, self-serving political stunt. The exact same situation played out again in early October when Governor Little traveled to the United States-Mexico border. As acting governor then, McGeehan again took the opportunity to issue another executive order that banned Idaho schools and universities from requiring proof of vaccine against COVID or a negative test. McGeehan also reached out to the Idaho National Guard about possibly deploying guardsmen to the Mexico border. Governor Little, while still in Texas at the border, again quickly repealed McGeehan's order, acting as governor. Now back to today. Yes, Governor Little was physically out of the state this week. He updated his social media accounts to show that he was at an event in Florida. The caption on the photo details that it was from an event with President Trump. Now, the photo was posted about an hour after McGeehan sent her release, saying that she was never told he was leaving. The governor's office provided me a letter dated October 29th that explains to the lieutenant governor that per an attorney general's opinion, mere physical absence of the elected governor from the state does not invoke the portion of the Idaho Constitution that transfers gubernatorial powers from governor to lieutenant governor. The letter from Little to McGeehan goes on to say that in the event he does need her to step in as acting governor, he will let her know. Unless or until then, Little says, there is neither a need nor authorization for her to act as governor. Now, this alt, again, is per an AG's opinion that was published in October on what absence from the state means in regards to the Idaho Constitution section on governor's powers. In short, the opinion says that absence from the state means effective absence, like being in surgery or being very sick, not just being physically out of Idaho. The argument being that modern technology allows the governor to lead the state effectively, something that wasn't an option when Idaho's constitution was approved in 1890. Now, the caveat to all of this is, if the matter were to end up in court, a judge could find and rule differently on what absence from the state legally means. And that's a big if, Joe, if it ends up in court. But this all leads to what these last couple of days lead up to another thing that happened today, and it has to do with compensation, yes. because according to the constitution, the lieutenant governor, when acting as governor, she gets a bump in pay. She does. And it's fair because if the lieutenant governor is doing the governor's job, then they're compensated for serving in that chief executive role. And this is nothing new. It's listed in state code. But Brian, I want to uh, pull up a, a letter here that the okay. lieutenant governor actually wrote to the Department of Fiscal Management. And I know that the font's very small here, so I'll <laughs> kind of just fill this in for you. Take basically, your word for it. You take my word for it. Yeah. The lieutenant governor basically saying, you know, how do we figure this out? How do we figure out exactly, you know, how I get the money I'm supposed to get? per state code as acting governor. Well, I checked in with the Department of Fiscal Management and they say it's, you know, there's a whole process you have to go through. They have to apply, the Lieutenant Governor has to apply for getting that money and then it has to be approved by DFM, the Department of Fiscal Management. All of this could be complicated though by defining when was the Lieutenant Governor acting governor. Um, on record, DFM only has one request for, you know, getting payment as acting governor and that's from May 27th of this year. But it'll be interesting to see if this ends up in court because of course we wanna know what it means when the governor goes out of state, but also is the lieutenant governor owed compensation for that time? It's also interesting to note, like, is that necessary to be compensated for the time that you're, well, that All right, we'll cut it there, guys. 
for the sake of the podcast crew, ladies and gentlemen, I will say, leave it up to a man who has a shaggy beard and a terrible haircut, but perfectly manicured eyebrows to be cynical enough to say that this is all about money. Right, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Reggie V, thank you for donating that cookie and throwing a cookie my way. Sean Joe, I saw that too. Thank you so much, sir, for doing, for tossing y'all's cookies my way. I appreciate the cookies. I'll even take the crumbs if I happen to get any, but I appreciate that. Helps keep the lights on. Uh, we've had to go down from, uh, we've had to go down from, uh, <laughs> We've had to go down from uh, from pure white light down to the standard yellow uh, light here. <laughs> we might be on 45 watts soon, but I appreciate it, guys, either way. Okay, let's move along from here, guys. So there you go. I mean, yeah, this woman, uh, it, it, uh, to paraphrase, oh, heck, paraphrase, to quote Aurelius Luck, she's got a huge pair of russets. <laughs> I love it. I mean, but talk about talk about leaving a calling card for your uh, your um, intention of going on to be the state governor. She could say, "I tried to do this. I tried to do that." You know, and, and you know, she could even say, "There's a loophole." You know, while while this guy's talking about money and he's talking about uh, other things such as uh, such as uh, the outdatedness of the Idaho Constitution in relationship to her attempts to uh, serve as acting governor, she could tell her constituents, I tried, I tried to do it for you. And that could actually really go a long way to help this woman as she, uh, as she moves into uh, the governor's race in Idaho. And uh, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I am pretty sure that that endorsement from president Trump will help her also, but she seems like a tenacious one. Ladies and gentlemen, not the kind of person that I would want running against me if I were running for office. All right. <laughs> okay, guys, here's our final endorsee for tonight. Uh, I swear, guys, I tried to find a good picture of this one. This one, he looks a little shifty shift to me. You know what I mean? Like he looks a little shifty shift. I was like, why are you giving him the side eye guy? Like what's going on here? I don't know. I don't know, guy. You look a little shifty shift. So, you know, I was like, well, uh, this guy's name, his name is uh, Gus Bilirakis. Bilirakis, if I'm saying that right, I think I am. And uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll find another one. Okay. <laughs> the man just may not be photogenic, ladies and gentlemen. Gus Bilirakis of Florida. Okay. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> Does it hurt to smile, Gus? Does it hurt to smile? For those of you on the podcast, well, you'll have to tune in to find out what we're looking at. Um, <laughs> Gus, did you wake up that way? No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, Gus. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll 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 go we'll we'll settle with the shifty shift one. Okay. We don't know why Gus is giving them the side eye, but he is. All right. He is. Uh, but this was the uh, final endorsee to share with you all, guys, from uh, President Trump. This is Gus Bilirakis. President Trump says, Congressman Gus Bilirakis has been a tremendously effective lawmaker for the wonderful state of Florida. 
He is an incredible advocate for energy independence, healthcare, and the American worker. He will always protect, protect, protect and defend our Second Amendment. Gus fights so hard for our brave military and veterans and is very strong on border security. Gus Bilirakis has my complete and total endorsement. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about Gus Bilirakis. Before we do that, let's check out a real quick three-minute video of what this man is all about. Like I said, you see him, you hear him, you get a sense about him. This is uh, Representative Bill Arrakis. Oh, I have a feeling they're going to try and throw in a uh, commercial here. Let me let me let me prep for that just in case. Gus Bill Arrakis on the House floor talking about the Biden border crisis. Okay, cool. Not going to do it. Let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen. None other than Gus Bill Arrakis for your enjoyment. I rise today to discuss the ongoing border crisis. Last week, President Biden's Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told Congress the border is secure. The facts indicate that this statement was absolutely false. The Biden administration has embraced policies to open the southern border, not to secure it. In reality, these open border policies have created one of the worst border crises in history. According to U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Protection, uh, this August alone, 200,887 people were apprehended trying to illegally enter a country through the southern border, which is at 300, uh, 317% increase from last August. That's really a big problem, Madam Speaker. And, and since February of 2021, the agency says more than 1.2 million people have been apprehended illegally crossing the border. That staggering statistic represents more than the entire, uh, actually, Pasco and Pinellas counties, uh, which are in my congressional district. I represent them. When I was at the border a few uh, months ago, Madam Speaker, the CBP agents I spoke with made it clear that they weren't even making a dent when it came to capturing the historic number of people who are illegally entering our country or with seizing the extraordinary volumes of drugs that are flowing across the border. That is truly unfathomable. When you consider that CBP has seized 724 pounds of fentanyl and 595 pounds of heroin so far in fiscal year 2021, these deadly drugs don't just stay in communities along the border. They are spread throughout the country into communities like mine in the Tampa Bay area. These drugs are ruining and claiming countless lives, Madam Speaker. In fact, Florida currently ranks second in the nation for overdose deaths. These are our neighbors and members of our family who are dying. We have to take action now. In addition to drugs, weapons, and humans are being humans are being trafficked through the border. Human traffickers are making an estimated $15 million a day. I'm concerned for these victims, many of whom are children. The root cause of this crisis are clear. Representative, excuse me, President Biden's disastrous immigration policies are to blame. 
His administration stopped building the wall, brought back catch and release, and tied to get rid of, uh, they tried to get rid of the remain in Mexico policy. The president himself has actually articulated a new openness towards migrants, something the leaders of Central America point to as a root cause of the crisis they are seeing. The situation at the border is dangerous, unmitigated. It's a dangerous, unmitigated disaster, Madam Speaker, especially now as our enemies feel emboldened by what recently transpired in Afghanistan. We have to secure our border as a matter of national security. Thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity, and I yield back. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Okay. You see why we're watching and listening to them, right? We're getting a sense of them. Okay. Now, uh, it seems that a lot of you guys out there were pretty savvy to the fact that this man is basically the Republican version of Jerry Nadler, right? Like, Jerry Nadler is a tiny guy, okay? You wouldn't expect that seeing him slumped over on his belly asleep during every Senate committee hearing that they have, right? <laughs> you wouldn't think that until you get the long view and you get him on a podium and you're like, oh, this guy's, uh, he's probably like four foot five. <laughs> they probably tossed Jerry Nadler around at those pizza parties, right? Oh, uh, well, well. There might be another reason why, guys. Now, that's why we're watching them, and that's why we are listening to them. Now, you guys picked up on that sense pretty quick. Did you guys get a sense of something else going on here? Mm -hmm. I asked that question now, but let's go on to what Gus Bilirakis of Florida, who has received the endorsement from President Trump, has been up, what he's been up to, right? What has he been up to recently? that might be of some interest to us, okay? It appears that uh, Bilirakis was among over 40, over 40 congressional representatives in a bipartisan move, okay, to effectively block the sale of F-16s, updated F-16s to the country of Turkey and President Erdogan of the same country, obviously. Now, uh, this was a bill that was um, formulated by Representative Pappas, Representative Maloney, and uh, Maloney we uh, recently saw sitting on the disgraceful, um, um, the disgraceful sham hearing about the audit in uh, Maricopa County, and then of course, as it was bipartisan, we had uh, Representative Bilirakis as part of this as well. They uh, sent a congressional letter to Anthony Blinken, current Secretary of State with ties to George Soros, quite deep, expressing uh, their lack of support. Now, the Papas Maloney Bilirakis letter, which again is bipartisan, received broad-based support from a coalition of ethnic, faith, and civic groups that worked successfully with Senate and House leaders to block an earlier sale of F-35s to Turkey and also encouraged United States sanctions on the Erdogan regime under the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act, otherwise known as CATSA. The coalition included the Hellenic American Leadership Council, the ANCA, the American Friends of Kurdistan, the Hindu American Foundation, and the Middle East Forum. Um, among other groups opposing the F-16 sale are the American Jewish Committee, uh, PSEKA, 
American Hellenic Institute coordinate uh, coordinated efforts of the Hellenes and the American Council of America. Oh, I'm sorry, the Armenian Council of America, not the American Council of America. Here's that letter. Let's go ahead and take a real, whoops, I'm flipping her around. Let's go and take a real quick look at what they had to say to uh, the Honorable Antony Blinken. Of course, I don't think there's anything honorable about that rat. Uh, but it says here, Dear Secretary Blinken, we are writing with regards to the reported letter of request to the United States by the Republic of Turkey in association with its attempt to buy 40 F-16 fighter jets and dozens of modernization kits for its existing warplanes. As you know, in 2017, Congress adopted and the president signed into law the Countering American Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. While CATSA was progressing, and despite the intent of Congress being abundantly clear, Turkey announced that it would purchase the S-400 surface-to-air missile defense system from Russia. Despite nearly three years of attempts to find a solution that would prevent Turkey from being in violation of CATSA, Ankara persisted with its acquisition and activation of the Russian S-400s, and CATSA sanctions were imposed on Turkey. In October, it was reported that Turkey requested to purchase 40 Lockheed Martin-made F-16 fighter jets and nearly 80 modernization kits for its existing warplanes, on October 17th, Turkish President Erdogan told reporters that the United States has proposed the sale of a batch of F-16 fighter jets, but the reported sale has yet to be confirmed. We have noted that your department has declined to answer questions about the LOR letter of request, citing policy of not commenting before Congress has been notified of the LOR. We believe that the widespread reporting on Turkey's request as well as President Erdogan's own statements, provide us sufficient basis to declare our opposition to this potential sale. There are many reasons for our opposition. Let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Less than one year since the imposition of these CATSA sanctions, the Erdogan government has made it clear that it has no intention of coming into compliance with the United States law or dealing with the underlying conditions that led to Turkey's ejection from the F-35 program and con congressional holds on purchases of American weapons by Turkey. Indeed, in September, President Erdogan declared his intention of purchasing additional S-400s. During his confirmation hearing, President Biden's nominee for ambassador to Turkey, former Senator Jeff Flake, Flakey Flake, declared that Turkey should face additional CATSA sanctions should it require, should it acquire additional Russian weapon systems, and we agree. Since this appears to be the position of both the administration and Congress, even considering Turkey's letter of request under the present circumstances sends the wrong signal to Turkey and gives it reason to doubt our resolve while continuing to develop its military relationship with Russia. One of the reasons Congress insisted on Turkey's ejection from the F-35 program was because of significant risks associated with co-locating S-400s and F-35s. Experts have noted that providing Turkey the Block 70 modernization kits poses similar co-location risks if Ankara continues to possess Russian S-400s. Since upgraded F-16s still play such a significant role for us and our reliable allies, that is a risk that we do not find acceptable. Finally, 
Given that CATSA sanctions already imposed, we anticipated that such a sale could only be finalized via invoking technicalities, for example, by trying to sell the jets to an entity other than Turkey's SSB, which has been sanctioned. Such an approach would have to be viewed as an inappropriate circumvention of the intent of Congress and would force us to consider additional legislation to restrict, restrict a potential purchase. We share your goal of a Turkey that is rooted to the West, but we will not achieve that goal if the Erdogan government escapes accountability for violating U.S. law and the standards of the NATO alliance. We request a formal notification of any Turkish letter of requests. The specifics of such an LOR, the administration's position on such an LOR, and response to our specific objections, thank you for your attention to this urgent matter, and we look forward to your response. Chris Papas, Gus M. Bilarekis, and Carolyn Maloney, the Wretched. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That's a uh, pretty clear, definitive, and strong-lettered word to one Antony Blinken. And uh, we'll see how it goes in that regard, ladies and gentlemen. But that's a little bit about... Bilirakis right there. But, ladies and gentlemen, we've got one more item to consider about Bilirakis while digging around into this man and his past. I stumbled upon this story, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I don't know how much uh, this story might have to do with today, but when we're talking about holding people accountable when we're talking about um, actually engaging those whom we need to watch. And we're talking about a four foot five <laughs> Republican version of Jerry Nadler. There might be a reason why this is important. I'm going to share it with you guys regardless, but this is a news report that came out back in 2012 about Gus Bilirakis. And I'm sure a lot of our audience is familiar with the subject matter. Uh, where we are talking about how Congressman Villarakis is actually affiliated with the Shriners Group. That's right, the Shriners Group. This story back in 2012, let's see what it's got to say. There's new evidence tonight a Florida congressman is affiliated with a group under fire for human trafficking and prostitution. Andy Alcock has our exclusive eyewitness news story. Andy? Angela, our exclusive investigation has found federal documents showing Congressman Gus Bilirakis used campaign money to pay membership dues and an event registration to a group called the Royal Order of Jesters. A campaign finance expert is on the fence about the legality of those payments. I like to address Gus Bilirakis represents Florida's 9th Congressional District in the Tampa area. According to federal documents filed by the Bilirakis campaign and exclusively obtained by Eyewitness News, in 2007, Bill Rackus paid nearly $340 to a group called the Royal Order of Jesters Tampa Chapter for what's described as event registration from campaign funds. In 2008, federal documents also show Bill Rackus paid the Jesters twice from his campaign fund, once for $25 and again for more than $780. In each case, the purpose was listed as membership dues. Senior counsel Paul Ryan with the nonprofit Nonpartisan Campaign Legal Center has worked in campaign finance law for more than a decade. The dividing line is if it's for recreational purposes, it's personal use, it's off limits. 
if it is for professional purposes and is political in nature, the organization and the membership dues, then it's allowable. So what is the Royal Order of Jesters? Internet journalist Sandy Frost has been investigating this offshoot group of the Shriners for nearly five years. The Jesters are generally made up of judges, people in law enforcement, uh, sheriffs, and people in positions of power. According to an Indiana court document, there are 191 groups or courts in North America with nearly 21,000 members. Federal tax documents show 12 jester courts in Florida, second only to Texas for the highest number in any state. Over the last several years, there have been major issues with jester groups around the country, but none of them have been tied to Congressman Bill Arrakis. A former tour operator is facing a lawsuit and criminal investigations in both the U.S. and Brazil. He's accused of soliciting underage prostitutes on fishing trips to Brazil, but denies the charges. In a prior suit, he was accused of taking 19 jesters on one of those trips. Also, three jesters were caught in a human trafficking sting for taking an undocumented illegal alien to be a sex slave at a jester party in Kentucky. Those jesters include a former New York State Supreme Court judge, his law clerk, and a retired police captain. While only a handful of jesters have been successfully prosecuted, in one of those cases, the FBI stated the jesters nationally have the motto, Mirth is King and engage in social gatherings known as books of play. The sworn federal complaint says, quote, a typical feature of a book of play is the presence of prostitutes who engage in commercial sex acts with members. Extremely serious stuff. And for congressmen to be involved with this group. We spoke with an officer of the Tampa Jester's Court who tells us he has no knowledge of members in his group engaging with prostitutes. On the issue of Congressman Bill Arrakis's use of campaign funds for the Jester's, Ryan believes it's open to question under campaign finance law. This is an issue that the Federal Election Commission, were a complaint to be filed against the congressman, would probably take a pretty close look at. You don't really have an opinion one way or another as to whether this might be legal or not, correct? It just strikes me as a pretty close call. Ryan says in instances like this one, the best path is for a candidate to ask the FEC for an advisory opinion. An example, federal records show then-Congressman Mike Villarakis, Gus's father, asked the FEC in 1999 for an opinion about using campaign funds for an event known as the Kids First Family Fair. The event was co-hosted with Gus, who was then a state representative. However, FEC records show now Congressman Gus Filarakis has never asked the Federal Elections Commission for an advisory opinion, including about his jester expenses. Generally, I think that elected officials are wise to steer clear of the type of controversy that results when you would use campaign funds to associate yourself with a group like this one, the Royal Order of Jesters. Again, we want to point out Congressman Bill Arrakis has no ties to the out-of-state jester activities we discussed. He first contacted his Washington office last Tuesday morning, a week ago. He also sent an email to the congressman's campaign manager requesting an explanation of the jester expenses. To date, despite multiple follow-ups, including today, We've heard no comment from the Bill Arrakis campaign or his office. Okay, so I just thought I would share that with you guys. I've uh, I've watched some digs into the Order of the Shriner and the Royal Jesters, and uh, nothing about what those guys do or represent make me feel good. So I just thought I'd share that with you all. Um, does that mean that he has anything to do with them today? 
I don't know. He's been there for a while. It seems like he's been there for a while. It seems like, but again, that's why we have to do our diligence and uh, we have to vet these people ourselves. We have to watch them. We have to study them. We have to research them. And most importantly, we have to hold them accountable. Now, I'm not saying uh, Billarekis is doing anything untoward with Jerry Nadler and the children on Halloween night, but you never know. All right, guys, we got a couple of more stories and we'll call it a wrap for this evening. Let's take a quick look at this uh, turnaround that seems to have happened in New Jersey, uh, where we were talking about one Senate president, Sweeney Todd, no, just kidding, uh, one president, Steve Sweeney of the Senate in New Jersey, losing, he's a loser, loser, to uh, everyday layman Edward Durr, ladies and gentlemen, now in the heat of it all, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we see that uh, Senator Sweeney Todd was not going to concede. He was like, "We've got twelve thousand more votes that we just found." He was gonna, he was gonna try and pull one on him. Now, I think the Democrat, elitist, globalist, transhumanist, uh, progressive, socialist, communist, sympathizing group of people who so fervently need Governor Phil Murphy to remain in his seat, and they stole it for him, probably told Sweeney Todd, I'm sorry, Sweeney, you're going to have to concede, or they're really going to be on to us. Never mind that they shut down, uh, you know, voting machines in every county every time. Take them to a warehouse for two weeks. Wait for a judge to approve someone to retrieve the data from them. No telling what happens to those voting machines in that two weeks. And then they add it to the total for how they have been bamboozling and swindling the people of New Jersey, their vote and their freedom for probably decades. Is anyone paying attention to this? I swear. Give me a one in the chat if you've heard someone else talk about that story. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, come on. You don't need a 12, uh, 40,000 ballot drop in the middle of the night if you regularly shut down machines and withhold that information for two weeks, unbeknownst to everyone else what's going on. And then you add it up and there you go. What do you got? You got a Democrat in New Jersey. Okay. I mean, that's like 101, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, I don't know what else I could say about it. I'm not from New Jersey. I guess I'll have to leave it up to the New Jersey people to take care of this matter. But uh, this whole thing with Edward Durr, uh, who is the brand new Republican uh, Senate president. It's <laughs> It seems. No, 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 no. But uh, um, uh, Senate President uh, Steve Sweeney finally has decided to uh, go ahead and concede to one Edward Durr. It's a shocking upset, ladies and gentlemen, that I think is the prime example of what we're looking at in America. When you can have someone come out of left field, right, who puts in hardly any of his own campaign money into this and still defeat one of the most powerful politicians in New Jersey state legislative body. America, watch out. We're coming for you, right? Uh, Steve Sweeney was said to have admitted that this indeed was a red wave. And of course, his handlers did not let him fight it 
because they need Governor Murphy to stay in place. And they already got a lot of heat on them for Murphy. So if anything else went untoward, then you know they'd be calling for an election audit in New Jersey. And they still need to do it. I mean, there's no reason not to considering all of the um, uh, discrepancies that happened alone with the governor's race. But uh, this was definitely an upset. Glad to report it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, for perspective, I've got a video with Edward Durr, okay? For perspective, okay, on exactly how big of an upset this is, how much even the New Jersey local news is like, what the heck, okay? <laughs> it's for perspective. I think it's a nice cherry on top, personally speaking. But let's check this video out. You can already see the guy's face. Look at him. He... <laughs> Just look at him. He's like, I can't believe this story. She's like, yep. <laughs> Let's see what these foos got to say. And the governor's race, though, isn't the only extremely close race that we're seeing in our area. The Senate seat in South Jersey's District 3 is also in a close heat. <laughs> I mean, really close, Steve. Hi. And this isn't just a local race. It has statewide repercussions because it's the Senate president the second most powerful man. A lot of people think Steve Sweeney is the most powerful man because he controls the entire legislative process, the hearings, the budget, you name it. And so that is hanging in the balance because if he doesn't win his local Senate seat, he's not going to be the Senate president. And he's been the legislative leader the longest in New Jersey history since 2010, a senator down here in Gloucester, Salem and Cumberland counties for 20 years this January, five times elected, but maybe not reelected. And the man who looks like he could have upset him up by 2,000 votes when he went to bed uh, when the, all the county clerks reported the numbers, Edward Burr, uh, the Republican candidate, and he lives a very modest life here. He's a truck driver for Raymore and Flanagan, has his Harley Davidson, lives right off of 295 here, and this is not some guy who's some slick lawyer or anybody else. This is a real person hoping to be a real person in the statehouse, and here is his, his first... Do you see his old English D on the door, guys? This guy is basic, but you know what? That's what America's all about, guys. <laughs> this is too classy. I just, I love this. Oh, my God. Interview uh, since what could be the biggest upset in New Jersey political history here in South Jersey. I have no idea what's going on. I am really trying to grasp all this. It, it is, I knew it would be a major upset. And it, the funny thing is, is whenever I went around the door to door, everybody, the first words out of their mouth was good luck. It, like they knew the political power that was being wielded down here. I would get uh, people who sent me $50, sent me $25. They said, listen, I, I don't like the guy. I want to see you do well. And so. I, 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 I did what I could. You're a Harley riding Eagles fan who is a truck driver. I mean, we don't have some real people in, in these state I, houses. I, I, I've said this before. I'm no, I'm as blue collar as you're ever going to find. That's what we need. You think in more, we need more real people doing real jobs who are really suffering and they know the price yeah, of a gallon I, of milk. I'm, I'm not against lawyers or doctors or business people, but that's, that's not what we need. We need people who understand the, adverse effects of what's going on in the state are you prepared for the onslaught of attention because we're doing I'm, the first I'm interview prepared for this right now 
that this has uh, been a little, like I said, I went to bed being told certain numbers and now I'm being told other numbers. They're trying to change things. I really don't know where I stand. So you, you went to bed. You were able to sleep even after you thought you won this race by a couple of thousand votes. Well, I wouldn't say so much sleep. I was able to close my eyes and think about what is the next step. It, it, it is a little overwhelming right now. All right. And he also knows the price of dog food. He has three spoiled adopted dogs that are the nicest three dogs uh, in the world. They didn't walk Look all night. The to hang out with us at the news truck instead of going to walk. And uh, he takes them on a brisk walk every day. And that's why he's in shape and 58 years old and maybe a very big, bright political future. Wow. And I'm sure he's going to be a focus of so many media people here today. If they can find his house hidden down here deep in South Jersey across coincidentally from this big field of weeds and grass. And he had uh, the ultimate grassroots campaign. How about that? And uh, here is some video that we shot just weeks ago. You'll remember you guys tossed this live on TV after the tornadoes. It was Governor Murphy, Steve Sweeney, the two most powerful guys in the state, telling the folks down here that they care about them. And they were really working hard uh, to help them come back from the tornado. And something didn't gel with the voters down here. And both of those guys are really on the fence right now. If they're going to be in office or they're going to be out of office. What a story to follow. This is really fun for a reporter to cover this. And it's very refreshing not to see the same old, same old and see the voters actually control something and not be told who to vote for and just follow whatever, whoever spends the most money on commercials on TV. Yeah. What a difference. Yeah. Uh... Okay. So I don't know if that Steve Keeley guy, you know, the guy that looks like he has too many night games in the black trench coat. I doubt this guy still has a job <laughs> after everything that he just said. But let me tell you what, Mr. Keeley. Uh, that's what happens when enough people show up to vote that they can't rig the election by shutting down machines in every county in every election, sending them to a warehouse for two weeks and waiting for a judge to allow them to retrieve the data at which time they finalize who won the votes in New Jersey. This seems to be the method that they've been employing. This would be pre-mail-in ballot, ladies and gentlemen. I don't need to say it anymore. That's the last time I'm saying it tonight. But that's what happens, guys, when we turn out to vote. That's why it's important that we show up and we cast our vote, specifically on, a, on election day. We show up on election day. They don't have a chance to count those votes ahead of time, to make a trajectory uh, the amount of votes that they need or what they need to do to steal the vote. That's what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. That right there is America. And that's why we need to show up. That's a good story, guys. All right. Let's move along to Blake Masters. Who is this man? Blake Masters is running for Senate seat in Arizona. Happens to be the same Senate seat that one AG, Attorney General Brnovich, Mark Brnovich, is also going to be running for. So the question is, who are we going to pick, right, Arizona? Is it going to be one Blake Masters, one uh, one uh, uh, st uh, steel-chiseled, uh, jawbone, thin young man versus AG Brnovich, who has not even been able to make a decision about whether or not there was fraud in the 2020 presidential election. I don't know, Brnovich. Look at this guy's mug. 
you got some uh you got some competition stacked up against you guy you are the sleeping bear he is the uh he is the uh, thin quaffed adonis okay so uh you need to make a move, Bernovich. Okay, uh, now let's talk about Blake. Blake is a Republican, okay? He is a Republican who is running, again, for the Senate seat in Arizona uh, that uh, I think has been vacated, if I'm not mistaken. Let me pull up my notes. Her. Yes, yes. Uh, let's see here. He is running for Masters is the only Republican politician to endorse. Oh, <laughs> check this out, guys. OK, check this out. So uh, Masters and Brnovich are running for the same Senate seat. So now it's a toss up. Are you going to get Pretty Boy Floyd or are you going to get uh, the sleeping bear Brnovich who can't seem to make up his mind right now? Right. He can't seem to find the justice, apparently, and what's going on in Arizona. Uh, but we have this guy here, Blake Masters, who basically effectively has endorsed President Trump in regards to election integrity. Let's take a look, ladies and gentlemen, about what Blake had to say. It's a rather striking video. And, uh, well, there's more to come. Uh, just check it out. I think Trump won in 2020. Maybe you disagree, but you've got to admit, this election was really messed up. We saw states change the rules at the last minute to flood the zone with mail-in ballots. The media, they'd tell any lie in order to hurt President Trump. And big tech censored true information about Joe Biden in the weeks leading up to the election. How is that fair? Trump wins big in a fair fight. I'm Blake Masters. I'm running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. And I approve this message because election integrity is the most important issue. We got to do so much better if we want to keep this country great. Okay, so that's pretty good, right, guys? It's like, oh, man, this guy, he's, uh, he's about that election integrity, right? He's about the election integrity. And, and, and of course, this is not the image that I wanted next. This is this is the one. Here we go. The one where he looks like every guy every partied with. Okay, so Mr. Blake Masters, uh, that sounds pretty good, guys. Now, I personally am not sold on this man as a Republican candidate. Okay, I'm not. Okay, I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. Just saying it pretty squarely at the head of this. Um, uh, people, of course, are attacking him now. Uh, Blake Masters, again, he is the only Republican politician to endorse some version, according to the article I got this from, of the claim that the presidential election was determined by massive fraud. Okay, the thing about it is that instead of outright saying that President Trump was defrauded, OK, he says uh, he, he, he goes into uh, hacked machines. He goes into uh, uh, I'm sorry, rather than going into hack machines, uh, he goes into the mail in voting. OK. And and he also goes into uh, the media censoring Joe Biden. So if you were a middle of the road Democrat, if you were a moderate, if you were non-decided, if you were independent, you would say, you know what? I don't think that there was fraud necessarily. But yeah, I do remember the media hiding stories about Biden and his son. That's possible. Uh, the mail-in voting, 
that's a possible theory also. But let's just face it. When you have mail-in voting, because this is what they tell me, they're like, when you have mail-in voting, well, obviously anything can happen because the votes still need to be counted. Okay. So that gives them the plausible deniability. He never outright said, you know, um, that uh, the, the fraud was caused by um, a, um, a massive conspiracy uh, that has been rooted out basically in Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Michigan, but ignored largely by everybody in the mainstream, mainstream fake news legacy media, as well as the rhinos on the hill and all of the people who fall under the D or the I category. He didn't go that far to say that, okay? So, you know, outright, yes, this man, this 35-year-old Republican who um, um, also... Uh, has worked with Peter Thiel Capital, okay, uh, is getting involved in this. And that's that's another thing, Peter Thiel Capital. Now, uh, again, so uh, he's, going, he's going with this angle. He's trying to make sure that he secures the Republican nomination uh, for the Senate seat that Attorney General Mark Vernovich is also running for. So that this way he can end up uh, being, again, the Repub Republican nominee. Now, he has also made attacks on Mark Zuckerberg. And also he has made attacks on, um, he's made attacks on a uh, uh, big, um, uh, a big, uh, big tech and stuff like that. Uh, he definitely has Bannon's ear. Okay. So we'll check out what uh, happened with him and Bannon. Uh, Bannon likes this guy. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence big time with this guy. I don't really uh, don't really see anything endearing about him yet other than his chiseled jawline. Uh, let's see what uh, Bannon and uh, Ma Masters had uh, discussed on this episode of Bannon's War Room Pandemic. Blake Masters, our guest from the Great State of Arizona. So, Blake... Um, if you are to win the primary, and then if you take on Kelly and, and you beat uh, Mark Kelly and you go to the U.S. Senate, you just mentioned they're fair fight. This ain't a fair fight. And, and kind of Arizona's history is built upon unfair fights, right? It, it's a rowdy place. It's a rowdy. It's got a rowdy history. It, it was not, not into the, the union until, um, until the early 20th century, Right. A lot of folks are very independent folks out there. You know better than anybody. You went to Stanford. You went to Stanford Law School. You've been a top venture capitalist for your professional career. You understand the big tech apparatus. They got every lobbyist. They got every big law firm. They got money. The only people that have more money washing around this town is the Chinese Communist Party, okay, than the tech industry. And by the way, a lot of us do the tech industry. Guys like Sequoia. I said it. Right there, Sequoia, right? Sequoia Capital and others and dozens of others, okay? So, Blake, it's not a fair fight. You're one guy that understands this. And, you know, Josh Hawley's trying, but he's, he's very good. And you got some others that are very good. But you know it better than anybody. So, walk us in a very unfair fight. I mean, David and Goliath don't even match the tech oligarchs. And it's an oligarchy. And our founders would be ashamed of us of what we've allowed to happen. By the way, on this audience's tax money, right, that went to pay for the R&D, and your pension funds, insurance company, your savings that has sponsored the venture capitalists, private equity, and the hedge funds that support it. So this is like a Greek tragedy. This audience's resources 
allowed this to happen, unbeknownst to them, and now it's here, and it's an oligarchy. So how is Blake Masters, one man alone, going to take on this system, sir? I think by showing leadership, we just need to take on big tech. It is an existential threat. I think it means taking away the Section 230 immunity uh, that that they currently enjoy. It's just corporate welfare for big tech. Get rid of it. Um, it's just a start, though. I think we got to make Facebook and Twitter common carriers, right? The phone company can't kick you or me off, Steve, because we have a conservative conversation uh, or because we're MAGA. And so I don't think Twitter or Facebook should be able to do that either. And then I think you go further still. I think Facebook needs to be broken up. Zero reason why they should be allowed to own Facebook Classic and WhatsApp and Instagram just so they can have all these different businesses to efficiently suck up all this data about people. So much more data than people really realize. What um, about what they, about data? What about data? What about data sovereignty? What about I own my intellectual property? I own my data and people. Hundred percent. This is one deal. thing I'm going to work on in the Senate. You, we need comprehensive federal data privacy legislation. You own your data. Giant multinational corporations do not. That's not the case right now. And you can make a rational decision. You can make a rational decision whether you allow people to monetize it or et cetera, but that's you making a decision. If you do that, then, then that's your business, but you'll, you'll lose some privacy. But, but people, you want people to have privacy and sovereignty over their data, correct? So they can that's make right. individual decisions about what to do with it. Okay. Last thing, uh, the the breakup of the of the uh, like they did Ma Bell, which my grandfather and father worked for for fifty years each. When they broke up Ma Bell, and it, it, this is the type of deconstruction, the kind of breakup you're talking about. To really, some of these should not just be common carriers, but almost be looked at as public utilities. That's right. Yeah, and, and look, there's a dumb way to do it where you do it, and all of a sudden you've got a lot of different medium-sized problems instead of just one giant problem in Facebook. Uh, and so you've got to get smart. And I think young people in there who actually know what they're doing, uh, who can sort of dismantle Facebook in, in the right way, in a way that's actually going to give us the benefit. Um, but then even Google, it's like you can't use antitrust against Google because it's just a giant monopoly search engine. But we've got to do something, Steve, because we, we at least notice when Facebook censors us, right? They rip off the Hunter Biden laptop story three weeks before the election. I think that could swing the election right there. But at least we notice and we get upset about it, right? We talk about it. Uh, Google, I think, can swing a presidential election in secret. If they're subtle enough, they can just change their search algorithms. They can boost Biden content. They can suppress Trump content. And no one's all the wiser because I don't have access to their changes, and neither do you, and neither does anybody in the federal government except maybe some of the deep state actors. Uh, that's a huge problem. Google, I think, is, is enemy number one when it comes to election integrity. So you're committing to – the good citizens of the state of Arizona, you're committing to the American people, you're committing to the MAGA movement that you will lead this effort. You understand the economics, you understand the technology, you understand the law. Uh, you've done this your professional life. You're committed to take on uh, this Leviathan when you get to the United States Senate. Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. We got to do it. Otherwise, we won't have a country in 10 or 20 years. It's just that simple. The great irony is that uh, the great state of Arizona could lead the effort to take on the oligarchs in Silicon Valley. Blake, how do people get to you on social media, how they find your website? Okay, we'll leave it there. I'm pretty sure you guys can search Blake Masterson if you like the cut of his mug, right? Or I don't know, guys, there's something about this guy. Just I get the gitchy feeling from him. 
You know, my sea sense kind of goes off whenever I see this guy. You know, he's the kind of guy, in my opinion, I don't want to walk out of a party with, particularly when that party is over. Okay, so Blake Masterson, there's the man. Uh, talks a good game. Again, a venture capitalist for his entire life, right? Uh, worked for the Thiel Corpor or Thiel Capitalists. Okay, now this is their website here. Very, very ominous looking, if you ask me. I really couldn't uh, pull up much more than that. You got Thiel and uh, all these other links. Clarium, Founderspun, Mithril, Valar, the Thiel Foundation. Who knows what this is all about? The Thiel Fellowship, a two-year program for young people who drop out of school to build things. Eh, that sounds kind of cool. I mean, I guess it could be promising. I don't know. Uh, let's take a look at his, um, the video that he released for his Senate bid. In other words, when he decided to say, Hey, I'm running for Senate against, uh, this, uh, Senator Kelly, right. That's going to be, is it, that's going to be his uh, challenger. If he gets the Republican nomination against AG Mark Burnovich. All right. Now guys, I got to say, when I saw this, uh, Blake masters for Senate video, his first one. It didn't seem like he was selling himself for the Senate position as much as it seemed like he was selling his sons. Take a look. I grew up here. One of my earliest memories is hiking in the Sonoran Desert with my dad. In some ways, my life hasn't changed all that much since then. I met my wife, Catherine, here in Tucson, in middle school. Now we have three boys of our own, and we go on those same hikes together. But there's one big thing that does change when you grow up and have kids. You no longer take things for granted. Now, the country I grew up in was optimistic. People thought all you had to do was go to school and work hard. You'd be able to buy a house and raise a family. But it hasn't worked out that way. Today, for the first time, young people in America expect to be worse off than their parents. Our leaders have shipped millions of jobs to China. And the internet, which was supposed to give us an awesome future, is instead being used to shut us up. The truth is, we can't take America for granted. And if we want to keep it, we got to fight for it. Because we are up against a media that lies to us. Schools that teach our kids to hate our country. And corporations that have gotten so big, they think they're bigger than America. It's time to put this country first. We need to enforce the law, and we need to finish the wall. We got to build an economy where you can afford to raise a family on one single income. And instead of pretending that we can somehow fix foreign countries, we gotta take care of each other right here at home. My name is Blake Masters. I'm running to represent Arizona in the United States Senate because we've got a country to save and we can't take it for granted. I hope you'll join me.
Okay, guys. So obviously, if you know anything about me, I got a lot of whiplash from 2017 to 2019 with all of these uh, pedophiles running around in the United States Congress and Senate. Okay. And uh, his director of photography, in my opinion, did him no favors in this um, in this uh, video. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I come from. Uh, Reggie V mentions that Peter Thiel is a big Trump supporter. So that is good to know. Obviously, very good to know. You know, I don't know everything. So that is good to know. But uh, I don't know. We'll see, guys, because as far as I'm concerned, uh, A.G. Bernovich still hasn't done his job. This guy talks a good game. But, uh, well, we are ever speculative here at the C-Report. We ask the question, why was the primary focus of your Senate bid campaign ad filled with children's butts? All right. Sheriff Joe Arpaio, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up tonight's show with this story. The uh, toughest, the toughest, uh, America's toughest sheriff, ladies and gentlemen, we might remember him from being the sheriff of Maricopa County, is uh, announced his bid for uh, mayor candidacy in the uh, as a town of Fountain Hill, Arizona. So that's pretty good, right? All right, we got him coming back into the scene. Never mind that this man is 89 years old. I'm sure he's still full of vigor and vim. Now, we might remember that uh, Sheriff Arpaio uh, when he was sheriff of Maricopa County, Arizona, instituted chain gangs for both men and women and then built the infamous tent city to house some of the nation's worst offenders. He even began issuing pink underwear to felons to prevent theft of the white variety. Now, how that has anything to do with anything, Mr. Arpaio, I don't know. OK, I don't live in Arizona. Um, I don't have a pair of pink underwear. But uh, I, I don't even have a pair of white underwear, ladies and gentlemen. But you don't need to know that. He stands unfazed by critics of his hardline stance on illegal immigration. The southern border crisis under President-elect Joe Biden is vindication in itself, is what he says. In fact, Arpaio, who served as sheriff from 1993 until his electoral defeat at the hands of the uh, George Soros-funded um, Pazoni the Jabroni, right? Uh, Sheriff Pazone the Jabron. I call him Pazoni the Jabroni. Um, he has a, a few kind words to say about President-elect Biden or hit elect. Yeah, select. No, select. Yeah, select. Mm -hmm. uh, or his Democrat predecessor, Barack Obama. Of course, we remember that uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio really brought to the forefront front this entire thing about uh, Baracky Obama, Barry Sotero's fake fake, 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 fake birth certificate. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, like I said, Arpaio is going to be running for the mayor of Fountain Hills, Arizona. In fact, Fountain Hills town clerk Elizabeth Klein said that as of October 19th, only two candidates had filled papers out, um, uh, papers of interest in uh, in the August, 20, uh, August 2nd nonpartisan mayoral race. Arpaio and his opponent, Kelly Smith, Mayor Ginny Dickey has not filed papers yet. Now, each candidate needs 324 signatures on a petition to become a viable candidate. And Arpaio says uh, that will probably be no problem. As well as the fact that uh, he will be all business. He says he's looking forward to stoking the local economy through travel and tourism. And that to do this, he will work toward building a viable partnership with the nearby casinos. 
Arpaio has also said that he is confident that he has support of conservative voters in Fountain Hills who back the blue and support legal immigration, because we all support legal immigration, obviously. And he's got plenty of name recognition to win the next year's election for mayor of Fountain Hills, ladies and gentlemen. And that brings our stories for tonight. That brings our report to an end for the night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's report. Now, uh, I did mention at the head of today's episode that we would be airing, broadcasting an interview between President Trump and one Wayne Allen Root. Uh, but as we are already past the hour and it is a 30-minute interview, guys, we are going to air that tomorrow. So if you'd like to check it out and join us for the watch party, please do tune in again, same place, same time, over here at Mr. C TV or the Mr. C channel, depending on where you are. If you're over there at the foxhole.app or at pill.net, thank you for hanging out tonight and tune in tomorrow, most definitely. It's always great to see you guys in the chat room. And also, I thank you again for your generous gold pill donations and supporting this broadcast. It lets me know you appreciate the work that I do here. So thank you very much. And then also, if you are um, tuning in over at, uh, what do we got, uh, Trovo, uh, Twitch, DLive, or Clout Hub, appreciate you guys hanging out as well. And, um, well, we'll look forward to seeing you guys again. Make sure you check out the show and support us over at thecreport.com. That is thecreport.com, uh, where you can get the latest updates on the show, any news information you might be looking for, as well as uh, contact information. In case you'd like to send a letter over to, or or maybe a letter of correction, aha, over to the Sea Report, we'd most definitely appreciate it and welcome your engagement. And also make sure you check us out over at anchor.fm slash the Sea Report, where you can get this uh, broadcast in podcast form. And we'll go ahead and upload this uh, to the podcast in the next few minutes within the hour. So this way, everyone can uh, check out what we had to talk to about today. If you can't catch the replay on other networks, you can always get us in your earbuds at the podcast for the C-Report.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. It's been a great night. Thank you again for tuning in and not tuning out. We will see you guys again tomorrow, same place, same time. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, as they say, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. Take care till then.